Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon shares a message entitled Insatiable. In every part of our lives, we have this insatiable appetite for more in search for things that will make us happy. However, we must remember that Jesus Christ is the only one to give us complete fulfillment. God is good, and we are, we are thankful for the life that he has in store for Sienna. We know that he has many wonderful things he's going to do in her life, so we're thankful for that. Um, isn't it funny like how when they're babies, they can do whatever they want to, and it's cute, but when you grow up, it's like nothing's cute anymore. So it'd be nice to just kind of be a baby again. Um, I want to tell you, I've been really, really excited about today. I don't, know, I don't know exactly why, but I have been so nervous. I haven't been this nervous in a long time, but I mean, I've been like so nervous. Um, but I, I am excited about today, excited about the word that God has given me today and, and looking forward to getting into it. I was so excited, in fact, that I was up until like two o'clock this morning. And I, my eyes were wide open, like they were propped open with toothpicks. I couldn't go to sleep, so you might have to help me preach today. You got to kind of engage with me, okay, and, and help me get this going. But um, I am excited about about this morning. Um, one thing, real quick, get it out of the way. Um, this on my lip, it's not contagious, so don't worry. Um, we went skiing this past week. It was winter break for our kids, and we've been asked to go and help with some ministry for a youth retreat. And so we went up to Canaan Valley. And we went skiing, and as I was trying to get my three-year-old in the chairlift with me, I bent over to pick him up. My ski pole stuck in the ground, and then it stuck in my face. And so it hurt really, really bad. And uh, so it was not pretty, and now I have this nice-looking thing. But don't worry, you won't go home and wake up tomorrow with one on your face because of this, okay? It's, it's not contagious. Um, I want to talk to you today, and I want to read some Scripture to you real quick out of Ephesians chapter 4. Um, I want to read 11 through 19 to you. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. I'm going to read Ephesians 4, 11 through 19. It says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Then verse 17 says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so, that to, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. God, we thank you for your word. I pray today, Father, that it would just hit us right in the grill, God, that we would have our hearts pierced by the word uh, that you have given us, Father. God, leave us, leave us challenged, leave us changed, God. Leave us encouraged today. God, that we would walk out of here different than the way we walked in. Father, that our hearts would be open right now, that we would open our hearts to receive what you have for us today, and that, that it would, would come and begin to plant in our heart as good seed and, and produce incredible fruit in our lives, God. I pray that that would be our heart's cry, is to see 
kingdom fruit produced through the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God, we give you the thanks. We give you praise. We love you. You are good. Have your way here right now, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Have your way here in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, how many of you would, would say that there's something in your life that you just, like you just can't get enough of it? I mean, everybody probably has something. I mean, I know like for me, I can walk into Bass Pro Shop and I can, I, I mean, I just kind of, oh, you know, it's like I don't even know which way to move. It's kind of like, oh, I'm just kind of like, oh, you know, because I mean, there's things I would never use, but I want them so bad, you know, and, and I can walk into Lowe's and I can go into Lowe's and just walk up and down the aisles. And I'm like, man, I don't even know what that is, but I could use it for something. I mean, you know, we want, we want these things and I don't even know what they do, but I'm like, that's got to do something cool. It's got to, and I could just spend all kind of money in Lowe's because there's just something. I just want more, more, more. I got more stuff. You know, we, have, we get more stuff and we build more rooms to have more stuff and, and we don't even use half of it. And, and women go and they go shopping. I mean, how many pairs of shoes do you really need? I've got like four. Susan's got like 84. You know, but, but and somehow for, for, for girls, like 50% off equals and they're not somehow as free. I don't know how that works. <laughs> But 50% off is free in their economy, and so it, I don't understand that, but hey, you know, um, I found that, that this tends to happen, this thing here, if I talk about that too much, with so I just leave it alone. I just let it go. But, but we do, don't we? I mean, aren't there things in our lives where we just have this insatiable desire for more? Do we not? I mean, it's the American way. Just accumulate as much stuff as you have so that when you die, you can leave it to somebody else. Isn't that the way it goes? I mean, we want more, 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 and we never seem to be satisfied. We never seem to be satisfied. We make commitments to things, and, and we can't keep them. I mean, we went on this, this youth retreat, and you know, when you go on a youth retreat and you're on the road, it was like a 12-hour trip there, 14 hours back because of the snow. I mean, it was absolutely insane. We're stopping every 10 minutes because one of the kids has to go to the bathroom. I mean, it was, it was insane. And so you don't eat very well on those trips. And so we're on the, on the road, and we're stopping eating hamburgers and French fries, and I, and I can't turn down a French fry, man. It's like kryptonite for me. I mean, it, I love french fries and so we're eating i'm finishing off the kids food eating everything in sight and so i told susan on the way home i'm like listen when we get back i'm dieting I, i'm 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 eating healthy i'm getting in shape this is ridiculous i, I can't do this anymore we get home and see that the rest of the story of last night is at two o'clock in the morning i'm eating wheat thins and easy cheese <laughs> I mean, you know, that stuff just looks fat. And when you sort of you squirt it out on a cracker and you eat it, and, and I'm thinking, man, I'm so weak, but I was hungry. And my stomach, you know, I mean, and how, how weak are we when it comes to saying no to things? We are so weak. I mean, we get something in our mind and we cannot rest until we have it. We do it with cars or, or radios or iPods or whatever it might be. Uh, we all have this thing that tends to... Um, um, just desire that we just desire it um, insatiably. We can't be satisfied. We can't have enough. Paul even went as far to say with the the uh, Philippians. He was telling them that listen, some men have have uh, um, just become enemies of the cross, and their God is their stomach. Their God is their. They, you know, we can't resist these things. There's something in us that just craves more and more. And in this Ephesians four passage, we got to remember that Paul's writing to Christians. He's writing to Christians and he's saying, listen, don't be like the Gentiles. In other words, he's saying, grow up. 
grow up. How many people have been in the church for years and years and years and they haven't grown up? And it's time as the church that we begin to grow up, right? Yeah. And we, we need to begin to become into maturity. As Paul is saying right here, he said, listen, don't be like the Gentiles. They're, they're living futility. Their minds are they're, it's futile. They go after things. Their understanding is darkened. He says, listen, this, it's like, in another place, he says that their consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. That nothing bothers them anymore. They've lost all sensitivity. It's, I've been amazed as I've watched the Tiger Woods thing unfold. That when they interview people on TV, I mean, person after person just tends to go, I, I don't understand. I mean, it's water under the bridge. I don't understand what the big deal is. I'm like, what? How can you say that he slept with 13 women or something or that we know of? And then, and he's married. And he's got two kids. And we sit here and go, well, it's just water under the bridge. Come on. But we've, in this country and, and, and in the world, we have become so insensitive to the things of God, right? I told you you're going to have to help me today, all right? So this is like those, one of those times where you can say, yeah. yeah. Even if you don't agree, you say, yeah. <laughs> we'll just work, everybody, yeah. You got to say it with like a deep voice, yeah, like that, okay? But we have, we've, we've lost all sensitivity. And, and what Paul says here is, is being given over to sensuality. It's all these things that are pleasing to the flesh, what does our flesh cry out in us? Man, it cries out. We, we, we think we can't live without things. I want to talk to you real quick, and I want to turn back to the book of Genesis now. If you'll turn to Genesis chapter 25, I want to read, read a quick scripture to you, and I want to talk to you about somebody who had an insatiable desire, and it cost him tons. It cost him tons of things. In Genesis chapter 25, we're going to start reading in, in verse 29. It says this. It says, once when Jacob, and, and let me set this up for you. There were two guys. There was Jacob and Esau, okay? Um, they were born to a guy named Isaac. Now, now, Jacob was, he would have been like the mama's boy, right? He was always hanging around the tents. He was always cooking, doing these kind of things, kind of the pretty boy type, right? Well, Esau was a man's man. I mean, it even says like he was hairy. You know, he was hairy. And so he was a hairy guy that loved to hunt. He loved to kill stuff and bring it home. You know, he's a provider, blah, 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 bringing all the stuff home. And, and so they were just totally different. And so where we're picking up in the story is Esau's been out hunting and he comes back in and he's starving. And so listen to what it says in verse 29. It says, once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Esau says, look, I'm about to die. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore on an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, and then he got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Let me tell you a little bit about this. See, he comes in and he thinks, man, I'm about to perish. I am just about to die of hunger. Give me some of that stew. And what he ends up doing is he sells his birthright. In that culture, in that day, uh, the oldest son could sell his birthright to his brother. And what that would mean is that, that he was selling the right to be the head of the family and he was selling a double portion of the inheritance that he would have rightfully had as the oldest son. And so he's taken in for a bowl of stew a bowl of stew, he sells his birthright as in, and his inheritance. Is that not crazy? 
One thing, I, I, he just thought, I can't go another step. I will sell everything I got, everything that's rightfully mine, I'll give it away. And we look at that and we think, for a bowl of stew, he's going to sell everything that he's got, everything that was rightfully his. And how many of you would agree that is absolutely insane? Would you agree with that? And yet here he is, he's selling it, he's selling it, everything he's got for one bowl of stew. And as insane as that sounds to us, how many times do we do the same exact thing in life? See, God's given us the opportunity to have so much, so much in him. And we will sell it for one temporary fix in a heartbeat. So many of us are missing the abundant life that God has for us because we keep selling it short for temporary things. We keep selling it short for temporary things. One of the things that, that he was unwilling, that he was willing to sell was his responsibility. See, as Christians, we've all been called to share in responsibility for the kingdom of God. This is a wild story. I mean, this was really, 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 really awesome. I was sitting in the office this morning talking to Sean and Bethany about the baby dedication. While we're sitting there, um, we're sitting there talking, and this guy walks in, never seen him before in my life. And honestly, I need to repent because the first thing I thought was he needs some money. I mean, nobody ever comes up here at 8 o'clock in the morning on Sunday morning unless they need something. And I'm thinking, what does he need? I mean, what? And, and he walks in, and the first thing he does is he says, let's pray. And I was like, oh, this guy's good. He, he has got this down. And I'm thinking, I wonder what other churches he's been to to do this. And he walks in and he says, let's pray. And he starts praying. And I mean, he's praying. We almost had revival in the office. I'm like, this dude's throwing down. I'm like, he is good. And he gets done. And I'm like, here it comes. And he goes, God told me to come by and to pray for this church. And I just wanted to be obedient. And he turns around, walks out the door. And I don't even know if I'll ever see him again. I didn't know what to say. I was like, well, come by. We'll go eat lunch one day. I mean, I didn't know what to tell him. But he says, God sent me in here. And we've got to realize that as a church and as individuals, we have a responsibility with our birthright. See, your salvation is not just about you. It's not just about you becoming um, saved. It's not just about you going to heaven. It's about you being used in the kingdom of God to bring other people in. And if we become like Esau and we just throw off our responsibility, other people that should come to know Jesus Christ won't. We've all got a responsibility. We've got a responsibility to the least of these. We've got a responsibility to those kids at Little Lots Creek Apartments where we go every Friday to show them the love of God. We've got a responsibility to shine the light of Jesus Christ in our life. But so many of us are selling our ability to show the love of Christ to the world for temporary things. We are so fixed, our mind is so set on things of the world that we can't be a demonstration of God's love to the people who need it. To the people who are, are literally starving to death. To the people who are spiritually starving to death. And I'm going to be, be real honest with some of you guys in here. Some of you who are married, some of you are not. It's time for men to just man up. Okay? Would you agree? If you agree with that, men, just, just like say right on. Yeah. It's time for men to just man up. And we were on the ski slopes the other day, and I, I got to repent of this, too. This is like repentant Sunday for me. But, but we were on the slopes the other day, and, and Dake, my seven-year-old, decides he wants to go down a blue slope, the first one he'd been down. And, and so we start going down there, and he ends up in some powder. He can't get up. And I got no problem with him following me, helping him up. I'll, I, I'll do that all day long. But then he starts whining. And he's like, I can't do it. And he's just on and on. I can't do it. 
And so finally, I just had enough. I mean, my head's about to go and just blow off. And so I look at him and I finally just said, Dake, just man up and get up and let's go. And he looked at me, but you know what he did? He jumps up on his skis and we took off down the mountain. And, I, and, and he takes off and I'm like, did I just tell a seven-year-old to man up? I'm like, my gosh. I'm like, Lord, forgive me. But, but, but he jumps up and he takes off and, you know, it's cool watching him learn how to ski and do all that stuff. But, but come on, guys. There's a point where we need to assume responsibility as the spiritual leader of our homes and the spiritual leader of our own life and man up and begin to do the things that we're called to do. Listen, it is not other people's responsibility to take care of you and your family. That's your job. It's not my job. It's nobody else's job. It's time that we man up and begin to pour into the lives of our wives and our children and the people we work with and the people we're in school with and begin to do the things that God created us to do. That's what he's called us for. And it's time that we take responsibility for that. It's time that we begin to move in that. Um, it's been a problem for, for, for as long as people have existed. I mean, you think about Adam and Eve in the garden. Let's go all the way back to the very beginning. I mean, they eat the apple. They sin. They realize they're naked. And that had to be like a startling thing, you know. It's like, wow. And then, that, so they go on, and they realize they're naked. And then, what do they do? I mean, they go, and they do the dumbest thing in the history of the universe. They decide they're going to play hide-and-seek with God. And they decide they're going to try to hide their own shame with fig leaves, as if God was going to walk through and go, wow, nothing's changed. You know, and he's like, where are you? As if God didn't know. And, you know, and and it would be so cool to know what would have happened if Adam and Eve had ran out, fell on their face and said, God, we are a screwed up mess. We have been disobedient. We didn't trust you. We didn't believe you. We let the devil lie to us. And they fell on their face before God and said, we're sorry. And to us, that sounds ludicrous. But how many times do we do the same thing in our own life? We know we've screwed up. We know we've messed up. We know we've said things we shouldn't. We know we were ugly to our wife. We know we were ugly to our husband. We know we, we, we cheated on something we shouldn't have. And instead of just going and saying, God, I am an absolute mess. I have screwed up. Forgive me. We go and we try to cover it up, don't we? And it only makes it worse. And we all, we live in this shame and this guilt that we don't have to live in. That's why Jesus died. It's so that you can be free. I mean, we sing amazing grace. My chains are gone. We raise our hands. We worship. We yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we walk out of here and we're still in chains. And God's desire is that he would be able to come in and free us from the chains that are binding us and keeping us from living in the life that he wants us to have. We're sacrificing our abundant life for temporal things. Our mindset is totally screwed up. Esau lived from this mindset. If I don't get the stew, man, I'm going to die. If I don't get to stew, I'm going to die. We were up on that mountain, and Dave, is, he, he loves skiing. I mean, I think he's going to be the first Olympic skier from South Georgia. I really do. He loves it that much. Uh, we're going to have to, I don't know how we're going to train him, but um, somehow or another we will. And, and so he loves skiing. And so, man, everybody else is worn out the second day. They're all, like, in there. They've turned in their skis, and Dave's like, let's go, Daddy. I'm like, all right, son, let's go. You know, I'm about to pass out. I'm thinking I'm going to lose some weight, and then I got a hold of the Easy Cheese, and now I'm gaining... And, <laughs> It's a mess. But we go and, and we're skiing. And I promise you, we were like the last people on this mountain. I mean, it was getting dark. The ski, the ski operator's looking at his watch. He's like, all right, this has got to be the last time. And so we get up there and we're skiing down. And I'm kind of sentimental. You don't know if you guys, any of you guys are sentimental kind of guys. But I'm kind of sentimental. I, you know, I, I think about things and I'm like, man, this is an awesome time. I'm, I, you know, this is one of those memorial stones in our relationship. You know, they're skiing together, hanging out, manning up, you know, all those kind of things. 
and, and it was just so cool. And, and so he skis on and I said, buddy, you go down ahead of me this time. I'll ski behind you. And I mean, he's just tearing it up, you know? And, and, um, and, and I turn around and I look and I'm just kind of taking it all in. I'm on the top of this mountain. This God's kind of, I mean, it snowed so much. It's beautiful. Everything's white. And I'm standing there and, and I look in the chairlifts that have been carrying all these people, carrying all these people were empty, not a soul on them. And right then, it was like one of those moments. There should have been like violins playing and stuff like that. But I look up on the mountain and I see the wind blow and this dust of snow just kind of blows off the top of the mountain. And right then, I just felt God put it on my heart, just drop it right in my heart. Brandon, life is like this. It's like a vapor. It's like that dust of snow that is there and then it's gone. It's there and then it's gone. And you need to live it. But we get so caught up on the, the temporal things of life. And our mind becomes like Esau's where we're focused on the stew. Or we're focused on the guy. Or we're focused on the house. Or we're focused on all of these different things that we think are going to satisfy us and never, ever do. How many of you have ever thought, if I could only have this one thing, I will be happy? And when you get that one thing, it never satisfies, does it? Never. But we continue over and over and over again going after these things and they never satisfy. In fact, many times the thing that we think we can't live without becomes the thing that we despise. Is that not true? You go and you buy a house and you're way over your head and the thing that you thought was going to bring you happiness becomes a burden and you end up hating that house. You hate to pull in the driveway because you look at it and it's a reminder of your financial situation. Or the guy you thought was so cool, the awesome guy. You end up marrying him, but you didn't realize every morning he was going to clear his throat in the shower. You know? And, and all these, these things that you just didn't quite think about. And then it becomes a thing that you despise. And so we spend so much of our life living for temporal things that never satisfy. Husbands and wife, I'll, I'll tell you this. One of the biggest problems I think we have in marriage is that we think our spouse is there to make us happy. We think our spouse is there to satisfy us. Your spouse will never satisfy you. And I believe that, that one of the things the Bible teaches about Esau is that he was a profane person. He was a godless person. And the problem in our marriages is not that our spouse can't satisfy us. The problem is that we are godless. That we are godless. Because God is the one who satisfies. And when we begin to realize that, our marriages will become better. And when Christians begin to realize that, we won't have the same divorce rate as non-Christians. Because we'll be living in a relationship with Jesus Christ, and we will be satisfied by Him. The next thing is this, that, that, that Esau thought that, that he just couldn't live without um, this thing. You know, he took the easy route. He took this easy way out. He, it, later on in the Bible, it says he went and cooked some stew for his dad, Isaac. He could have gone, he could have fixed his own stew, but he took the easy way out. It's time for Christians to realize that the easy way out is not always God's way. That God has called us more times than not, than more times to stay in the situation and change the circumstance more than he's called us to flee it. Because he is filled, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. He has made you to be a circumstance changer, not to be one who flees. The Bible says that if you will stand up to the devil, he will flee from you, not for you to turn and run from him. Right? Yeah. Yeah. 
not for us to run from him. But how many of us, when we face the least bit of resistance, the least little obstacle, we tuck our tail between our legs and we turn and run? Happens all the time in marriages. It happens in all kinds of things. That when we come up against resistance, we tuck our tails between our legs and we just run. One of the things we've got to realize is that in this world that we live in, it's very pluralistic. Have you have heard in classes and different things, you've heard people talk about pluralism. It's like going to the grocery store and trying to buy granola bars. Anybody ever, have you done that lately? There's only like 400 types of granola bars. You're like, <laughs> you know, you can't figure out which granola bar I want to buy. And so you're saying, well, that's kind of the way the United States is. So we have a lot of gods. They just all start with a lowercase g. And not too many of us really live for a God with a big G in front of his name. Because there's only one that's worthy of that, and that's Jesus Christ. That's Jesus Christ. He's the only one that has the big G in front of his name. But people are living for all these different things. People are living for all these different things they think they can't live without. And we become so pluralistic. There's so many things to choose from. It's just like, and I hate to keep going back to this, but it's just so big in the news right now with Tiger Woods. And he's talking about going back to his Buddhist faith. Now, I was thinking about it last night, and I was like, well, that makes sense. the easy thing to do because nobody cares if you're a Buddhist. Nobody in the world cares. I mean, you can be a Buddhist all day long, and everybody's like, well, that's so cool, man. Go after Nirvana, you know? Just find yourself, man. But you start saying Jesus, and people start getting their back up. There was a guy on the, on the news who recommended that Tiger Woods find the redemption and grace of Jesus Christ, and he took a beating over it. So there's a difference. When we start talking about Jesus, there is a big difference. In this pluralistic society, we begin to see this. Um, some of the ways this stuff plays out in our lives, when we begin to live for temporal things, when we begin to look to all these other things, is one of the biggest um, problems we have in the nation today, if you haven't noticed, is money. And our government's responsibility or lack thereof with money. But I would say that our government's lack of responsibility with money is just a bigger image of what we have personally. Do you agree with that? That we, we live in a time where so many people couldn't follow God if they wanted to because they're bound to their wallet. They couldn't follow God if they wanted to because every month their bills stack up higher than their paycheck. And so we live in this place where we can't go after God. If God said, move over here and go and do this, you couldn't do it because you're tied to your bills. And young people, I'm telling you, credit card, I'm pretty sure credit cards are from the devil. Because they will get you in so much trouble. They will become an anchor on your, your feet where you can't run after God. They will hinder you. And the problem with some people is they say, well, I'm going to tithe because the Bible says that if I'll sow my, my seed into the kingdom, then all, you know, God's going to take care of everything. But just because you sow your tithe into the kingdom doesn't mean that God's going to cash every check you write. In Deuteronomy 22, it talks about this. It says, listen, don't, don't mix your seed when you're sowing your field. And so many of us want to take and we want to sow in the kingdom over here, but we want to sow in the world over here. And then it all just gets all tangled up. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus talks about this. He says, listen, there was a, one group of people. He's talking about sowing the word of God into people's hearts. And one of the conditions of the heart, he said, is like people who receive the seed. And it goes in good soil. And it begins to grow. But then the cares of the world begin to grow up. And they begin to choke it out. And so many of us live in that place where we, we want to serve God so bad. And we want to do these things. But there's something in our life where there's an addiction to drugs, addiction to alcohol, addiction to pornography, a sexual 
sexual addiction, whatever it might be, we're addicted to these different things and we can't live for God. We can't serve God because we're mixing our seed. And so it all gets tangled up and in the end, we're unfruitful. And we need to get to a place where we're content, where we realize that our contentment only comes and is satisfied when we sow all we have into the kingdom. It is all His. Why would you want to live for stuff that you can't even take with you? Does it not make sense to store up treasure in heaven as Jesus Christ taught us? That's the only thing that's really going to last. Another way is that um, we see uh, things take place in our marriages. We see things begin to fall apart in our marriages. We have this void that we, we, as I said earlier, that our spouse is supposed to feel. And it never happens. It never happens. We have impure relationships where we think this guy, this girl, he's going to make me happy. She's going to make me. And it never works. It never satisfies. In fact, I would dare to say that most people who go into a relationship looking for this guy, this girl, to be the answer to all of their problems, they end up worse off than they were before. Because it can't work that way. It never does. It never works in that way. One of the big ways, and you need to hear this, if you dozed off, wake up. One of the big ways we lose the abundant life of God, one of the big ways we miss it, one of the big ways that that we um, fall short of living in the life that God wants us to live is when we try to be God for everybody else. Anybody ever had the, the savior complex where you think you need to save everybody around you? See, God hasn't called you to fix anybody. He's called you to trust him to fix everybody and to be used by him to be an instrument of bringing them to wholeness and to completeness. See, we get in this thing where when people walk into church, we think we've got to be the judge and the jury on their life. And that's not our job. Our job is that if we'll preach the gospel, if we'll preach the word of God, their dysfunctions will melt under the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? And so this is why I'm coming. Listen, we have a, quite a dysfunctional church. We've got, we've got people with issues. Everybody's got them. We just acknowledge them, right? And, and we are here. And I have no problem pastoring a church with people with major issues. I don't want you to stay that way because I believe God's desire, if you will allow him, is to make you whole. But I trust God fully to take the most wretched sinner that walks through that door and changes life. That's not my job. My job is to love them into the kingdom of God. And that's your job. That we love them where they are and we let the power of the Holy Spirit begin to change them from the inside out. I believe with all my heart that there is nothing in this world that God can't change. And if we'll get that, if we'll get that revelation in our spirit, God can use us to revolutionize everybody that walks through that door. If they will open their heart, if they will recognize the knock of God on their heart, open their heart, the changer of hearts can go and begin to change them. It's not my job to point out all of their faults. It's my job to preach the word of God and watch the Holy Spirit transform them before my very eyes. I want to talk to you real quick, and we're going to wrap up with this. John chapter 4, it's one of my favorite sections of scripture in the entire Bible. There's this lady... And she's a Samaritan lady. And she goes and, and, and she's going to the well. And Jesus was passing. He's just passing through Samaria. And he goes and he sits down by the well. He's, he's, he's worn out. Pretty cool that Jesus got tired, right? So that when we're tired, we can say, hey, he knows where, I, where I'm at. And so he goes and he sits down by the well. 
And this lady comes up and he says, hey, would you uh, get me some water? And she turns around and looks at Jesus and is like, who are you to ask me to get you a drink of water? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. We don't even associate. Because see, here's the problem. The Samaritans were considered to be um, not as, as, as righteous, as holy, as pure as the Jews. They were part Jew, part Gentile. And so the Jews looked down their nose. That's why we have the story of the Good Samaritan where the person comes along and helps the Samaritan because the Jews weren't supposed to even help Samaritan. They weren't supposed to associate. And yet here's this lady. She comes and she says, listen, I'm not getting you water. And Jesus says, listen, if you knew who it is that asked you for a drink, you would ask me and I would give you living water. See, think about this lady because there's some issues in her life that, that I can almost picture her in my mind. And if you'll picture this in your mind for just a moment, here's a lady who Jesus reads her mail. You're talking about getting your mail read by somebody. He just reads her mail. I mean, just perfect. And he says, he tells her, and she, he says, go back and get your husband. And she says, I, I, don't have a, I don't have a husband. He goes, you know, you're right, because you've had five, and now you're shacked up with number six. And she's like, oh, I perceive that you are a prophet. You think? It's Jesus. And so he's there, and he's, he's reading your mouth. And then, can you just imagine what this woman's life must have been like? I mean, she'd been married five times, and now she's working on number six. Do you think there might have been a little despair in her life? Do you think she might have been a perfect picture of somebody who had tried everything under the sun and had found no satisfaction? I can see in her mind, I can see in her face, I can, and it's almost like you could picture in your mind her eyes just weak and, and just wrinkled and just, and then she's got to go to this stinking well every day to draw this water, and now this Jewish guy that I'm not even supposed to be talking to is wanting me to draw him water. And can you just imagine the state of this woman, the, the condition of her life? And then Jesus tells her, listen, if you'll allow me, I'll give you living water. I'll give you living water. And what Jesus was offering her was an opportunity to have her shame gone. It was an opportunity to come to a place of wholeness and, and an opportunity to be made whole in him. He's like, listen, you come here every day and you can drink this water all you want to and you can fill up this bucket, but the bucket might as well have a hole in it because you're never going to get full. And all these men that you're trying to live with and marry and do all this stuff with, they're never going to satisfy you. But I can give you something in your life. I can fill that void in your life that, that nothing else can fill. You keep chasing all these temporal things, but Jesus said, I can give you living water that will satisfy your soul and you'll never, ever, ever thirst again. Can you see this woman? And she's like, oh, give me this water. I don't want to have to come back to the well again. And she's living in this place of, of just outright misery. And some of us are that way, aren't we? See, the, the difference in us and her is she had no right, really, to the kingdom. She wasn't a Jew. But you have the right to, to your birthright. You have a right to the inheritance of God. Jesus died so that you could have abundant life. And yet for so many of us, all the opportunity in the world is sitting right here and we continue to draw out of this empty well. We continue to pull things up and pretty soon all we get is, is sand. Have you ever turned on, like if we live on out, out kind of in the country and so we live in a well and there's nothing worse than when you turn the water on and sand starts coming out in your water because then you know you're in for having to dig your well deeper. You've run out of water. 
And so many of us are here today and we've been looking for things to satisfy us and to make us happy. And we, and we maybe we've, we've mentally assented to Jesus, but we're not really living in the living water of God in the Holy Spirit of God. And so we continually go to this well and it's like trying to suck sand through a straw. And our lives are unsatisfied and we're, we're not happy. And it's because we're looking in the wrong place. We're looking down this deep well, thinking that one day, one, if I drop my bucket in there enough times, one day, one day, I'm going to pull up that one thing that's going to make me happy. And can I tell you this? If you're, if you're drawing from that well, it's never going to happen. I can promise you that it is never going to happen. And when we were skiing this week, Dake started out skiing, holding on to my pole. I didn't give him the point it in because I didn't want him to fall on it. But he started out holding on to my pole. You know what? He was totally dependent upon me. If I jerked the pole away, he was going down, man. I mean, hard. Totally dependent on me. And I was thinking about that in, our, in regard to our relationship with God. You know, we're totally dependent on God even for our next breath. And yet we don't realize it. We continue to look in the wrong place to try to find this fulfillment. This lady was a picture of, of looking for love in all the wrong places places. She was a picture of trying to spend her entire life finding something that was going to make her happy and it was never going to satisfy. And until we begin to look to Jesus Christ, the lover of our soul, the one who died and gave his life, the one who spilled his blood, the one who went to heaven, received the promise of the Holy Spirit and now desires to give it to you, until we begin to look to him, we'll never have satisfaction either. Do you agree with that? So we, we can mentally assent to it, but somehow we've got to get a revelation from the Holy Spirit in our heart. We can continue to chase after dumb things that will never satisfy, or we can yield our lives to God and to the Holy Spirit. Amen.